You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Uh, we are in episode 136 of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are rapidly approaching draft day. And here to talk with me about it is going to be my co-host, Johnny Venerable. Uh, John, you were a bit sick last week. It's good to have you back for the pod this week as we are just almost about two weeks away or so from the draft. And the, there's not a lot of picks this year, but some very important ones for the Arizona Cardinals. Absolutely, Blake. Yeah, it's it's good to be back. Uh, I apologize. I had to piece out of the... Last call, my daughter had the flu, and then my wife, my son, and I all had the flu at the same time. Over the weekend, it was a disaster, so we were a little late because of me, full transparency, uh, with our live Twitter mock that we did. We were going to do it on Friday. We did it on Monday. It was still a blast. I hope you guys had a chance to hang out with us. Uh, Blake and I had fun going back and forth doing the first round, and like that, our coverage from here on out is all Cardinal draft uh, outside of one uh, recent signing in the Arizona Cardinal backfield. Blake, you and I haven't had a chance to discuss probably what will be the last signing, we think, prior to the NFL draft for this team, uh, that being the addition of former Steelers running back James Conner, who you've kind of teased, given that his ex, his current position coach was with him in Pittsburgh. They've got some familiarity. Um, and by all accounts, the Cardinals really didn't have prove-it depth in the backfield outside of the incumbent starter Chase Edmonds before bringing on Connor into the fold. Now, Connor's contract, we've gotten the numbers now a day later, is just roughly guaranteed for $1.75 million. So not even enough to count against the, the potential additional draft capital that Kime could acquire next offseason um, in those conditional those draft picks that the Cardinals are set to earn uh, a couple as of now. But the bottom line is, Blake, you get a big physical back, six foot one, two thirty. that when he's healthy, and that's the question mark, he averages in tune of over four yards per carry. I don't think he's a bell cow by any stretch of the imagination, but he's capable, can certainly start when needed, and could go off for 100-plus yards and a couple touchdowns. And I, I just think the presence of him, along with Chase Edmonds, allows the Cardinals to stay flexible, like you mentioned, in a draft in which they do not currently have a lot of draft capital. Of course, that can change. They could trade down. Just depends on who's available. But if you're sitting there at pick 49, let's assume they didn't take a back at pick 16, they haven't been able to trade down. The top three to four backs that they love are off the board already. You don't have to reach for somebody else thinking, well, I don't have another pick until the fifth round. You can say, I've got Two veterans on one-year deals, prove-it deals. They're making $3 million combined. Can be flexible. Maybe I can look for another free agent running back in the in the offseason during the summer. And I, here's another thing that I think a lot of people, because, Blake, I know the majority of Cardinal fans see this as, yeah, it, it is what it is. There's one-year signing, high-character high guy, not a lot of money. But then I see a lot of people who are like, well, does this squash the notion that they could be in on a Najee Harris or Travis Etienne or Javante Williams? Here's what I'll say, and I've been thinking more and more about this, is that if you take a back either in the first or second round, that timeline starts in which they're going to be expected to have a significant role. And, you know, not to say that a Najee or Travis Etienne wouldn't have a role 
year one, but those years are so valuable because typically you don't like paying running backs after their first contract. That's just what this is. So would it be almost more appropriate for the Cardinals next year to add a high first, second round back when number one, you would assume the roster is in a better place. They don't have glaring holes at corner, tight end receiver, et cetera. And also maybe Chase and James Conner aren't around. And you say, hey, our first round pick not only can be the guy you're one, but he's our starter. He's getting 250 plus carries like a Josh Jacobs got, like a Clyde Edwards Hilaire. That's just I, I'm just thinking out loud, Blake, because I know that a lot of people have kind of, you know, thought to themselves, well, James Conner does. It means no Najee. It means no Travis Etienne. Don't assume that. But I also will say, like, this team has other needs. And I, the Cardinals, I, I'm comfortable with this backfield as is right now. Is it the best? No. But I we've seen this team be productive with a multitude of backs next to Kyler Murray. He's their cheat code. And oh, by the way, they've got an all-pro center in Rodney Hudson now in the fold that helps by default. So as much as I would love to see any of the top two or three backs on this roster, I just the more I think about it, the more I think that look at James Conner every year he's been healthy or just every year he averages over four yards a carry. So if he's active for the Cardinals, he's going to produce. Chase Edmonds, I think he and him could potentially complement each other very well. I, the, it's the cliche lightning and thunder backfield, but they're both capable receivers. They're, they're both capable in uh, pass blocking scenarios. Um, the projections I saw, I think from Mike Clay yesterday, Blake was like um, Chase having his usual, like almost thousand yards from scrimmage, 500, 300 receiving 500 rushing. And then James Conner, 800 yards rushing. I mean, you consider what the, the Raiders paid for Kenyon Drake. $11 million over two years, what the Cardinals are paying to these two individuals, that's probably what you're going to get from anybody. And last point on this, if they take Travis Etienne, because I like Najee the most, I don't know if the Cardinals have interest in Najee. I know that there, there's been connections with Travis Etienne, that of Clemson. Kyle was meeting with him exclusively at his pro day. They had been seen talking to each other. He's probably infatuated with what he can do in this offense. Of course, why wouldn't you be? What kind of role is Travis Etienne, as good as he is, going to have the first eight games of the season? And if he's your first-round pick in a trade-down scenario, or even pick 49, I don't know if that's good enough. That's just my opinion. John, the Cardinals are in a spot now where if you look at what their offseason has composed of, it's been mostly adding Pro Bowl players. The fact of the matter is that James Conner in, I believe, that 2018 year did make the Pro Bowl. That was a year in which he only started 13 games. Uh, I believe it was 12 games he started, played in 13. And he had about 1,400 total yards from scrimmage that year. The biggest thing I think is an advantage of him is that he is um, not just a guy who can run the ball up the middle. He is a player who is able to uh, catch the ball out of the backfield. You don't have to take him off of the field in pass protection. It's going to be an interesting scenario to see. Do the Cardinals use a running back by committee approach? Or do they kind of focus on one of either Chase or James and then have the other guy be the person who... Uh, manufactures a few of those touches in an RB2 scenario. And uh, especially if they do draft a third running back, is it going to be one of those spots of, you know, just throw a bunch of backs at the wall, try to have this you know competitive ground game, see what sticks. What's interesting with Connor and Edmonds alike, both guys average about five plus yards per touch. So you're talking about whether it's rushing or receiving. Um, 
the fact of the matter is that Chase is a bit more explosive than James Conner is, and the similarities between the two is neither of them have really been able to stay healthy for the duration of their careers thus far. Chase, at least, has played in 16 games as a rookie, uh, but he obviously, at least after that Packers game, at least seemed a bit dinged up. You're talking about in 2019, uh, he missed, I believe it was three games of the season. Kenyon Drake comes in, plays in all 16 last year, but did get a bit beat up as time went on. We even saw the Cardinals, um, you know, kind of take Kenyon Drake, even when it was clear he wasn't a hundred percent and utilize him to take some of those big hits just because Chase was so effective as a receiver. He was averaging about, I think it was, yeah, over about seven and a half yards per seven and a half yards per catch last year which is great the cardinals are in a spot at least where with him on a one-year deal you're talking about how do teams win in today's nfl what we've seen john is that there's been a shift away from you know these guys like a todd Gurley in the top 10 looking at these uh, running backs who go with these early picks being kind of the best athlete on the field and we're shifting to seeing a lot of teams are just not paying their running backs and being able to find guys due to the quantity of players and some of the smarter teams it seems like have let them go the cardinals were at some one point a victim of paying a back now you and i talked about david johnson the idea we felt was a strength was hey if he gets beat up at the running back position contract can still be a win because you just move him to receiver and be able to still manufacture touches that way well once a lot of the receiving aspect at least seemed like it went downhill as well it just turned into more of a handcuff for the cardinals with an older back and connor's only 25 so when you're talking about a 25-year-old kid and then Chase, who is, I believe he's, um, I think he's only 24, you're talking about two guys who are making only a total of $3 million this year. That means that you can invest money at a bunch of the other positions, and if you can still get valuable production at that small. Uh, that's something we've also seen. If you look at stats of previous Super Bowl teams, and obviously it's jumping the gun here a little bit, but a lot of those Super Bowl teams, when you look at them, they are not teams that have these franchise, you know, like paid double-digit millions of dollars every year running backs under contract. And that's why I think this is a savvy move for Arizona to sit back, let a lot of the other guys take up the market, and bring in a guy who already has familiarity with their running backs coach and is probably going to be about as good of a scheme fit for the run game as you can find. And in that case, John, maybe with the Cardinals, we've talked and joked about how, you know, Steelers West will sometimes be the talk of how the Cardinals are. Hey, sometimes you just keep going back to that well if it works. Other times you'll see times it does not. So uh, any other last thoughts at least on the Connor signing or even just kind of some of the running backs in general before we shift a little bit of the draft focus? Um, kind of starting with the a little bit more talk about the Niners and that third overall pick, but any other last thoughts on Connor? I, I do want to at least also mention dude beat cancer was nothing but a tremendous leader, uh, and especially a guy at least who some people have said is super inspirational. So I think that he fits that mold of what Steve Kime has tried to acquire this offseason. Yeah, I think it should be noted he did have uh, surgery on his toe. Uh, by all accounts, should be ready for on-field work this summer. Uh, he, pa I guess he passed a physical with the team. He took a physical earlier this week, passed it. Uh, and again, it, once we found out about the toe and he was still visiting, we knew like, okay, the Cardinals aren't going to overpay. They're going to get him for next to nothing, which is what ended up happening. He's only 25 years old. His pro football focus grade, which is difficult for, to, to, to assess for backs 
as compared to other positions, certainly up front on the defense off offensive line. But he had a higher grade by one spot than Chase Edmonds, and then they both were significantly higher than than Kenyon Drake. So a lot of this running back stuff is is pick your you know your favorite transparency and kind of go from there. But all I know is for what they need today. He's a good body to have in. And then, oh, once upon a time, he did play special teams early in his career when Le'Veon Bell was there. So if you had to have him cover, he could do that. But I just think that this team is attempting to remake their ability to convert on short yardage. No greater addition is going to be more impacted than, than the Rodney Hudson addition as far as that goes. But, I mean, you think about it, Blake. You've upgraded from Kenyon Drake and Mason Cole on short yardage. Kenyon Drake, who by all accounts didn't run particularly hard at, at times last year, couldn't get his shoulder square. And James Conner, who is known for tough inside running, and and Rodney Hudson, who's a top three center in the NFL. Th- that's going to help them by default. And I think James Conner is going to look at the opportunities that Kenyon Drake got in this offense, where he racked up almost a touchdown per game average, and think to himself, well, I'm, I'm as capable of as somebody like Kenyon Drake, I, I was the lead back in Pittsburgh. I made a pro bowl. I just haven't been able to stay healthy, but when, when he plays and he starts, he produces. So as long as, I mean, and who knows, maybe the perfect setup for him is the kind of Mark Ingram earlier Kamara split that those two had in new Orleans, that the Cardinals can now feature with he and chase Edmonds, who are all still very high on. He still has very much a role. Um, I just think now if this, if this works out, I just think that you, you've given yourself a little bit of breathing room because a lot of people thought James Conner was going to get the contract Kenyon Drake did that James Conner has, has been a better player longer than Drake has. But I think with Drake, it's a little bit of, we want to see what comes next. He, he looks like he's just now coming to fruition with a lot of his potential out of Alabama, whereas James Conner is kind of seen as maybe a little bit beat up and damaged good. So uh, I'm all for taking a flyer on a guy who's like you mentioned, of course, diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, beat that has just been a constant pro high character guy. I, as much as like I yearn for the days, Blake of my childhood, maybe your childhood of the NFL back was the end all be all that's the quarterback now. And I love what I see in, you know, Tennessee with, with Derrick Henry and Cleveland with Nick Chubb, but that's not what wins championships. And look at the teams that are consistently contending. New England for the longest time He's had about like two or three stable backs, right? Kansas City, it's just like, yeah, they took Clyde, but you know, was he even their most effective runner last year? They had Williams for a while. They they had Le'Veon. You look at um, Tampa Bay had Leonard, but they also had the kid from Ronald Jones from USC, and they just signed Giovanni Bernard. It's just like. Can we just acquire a bunch of capable guys and not pay too much for it instead of, you know, I get tempted by the highlights and it's just like the most like infatuating position, hypnotizing position. Cause you're just like, Oh man, wouldn't it be great to take Najee Harris and just let him go for 1700 all purpose yards with Kyler. And then just, they just run ragged, but that that's not really the NFL anymore. And if, if Najee Harris has a monster season it's because he is their offense, and that's never going to be the case in Arizona. So, I I think you know I have to find a way to condition myself not to think like that. Like many of you, I know it's hard, but that that is to say, like again, uh, we'll close this uh, on the following: both these guys are on one-year deals for almost no money. 
The Cardinals could still very much take a back early, and that back could be in a prime position to take over next year, a la what happened in Baltimore, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and a rookie by the name of J.K. Dobbins that went in the second round. I could see the Cardinals maybe mirroring that. So just something to think about. Yeah, the Cardinals are in a spot at least also where if you're not paying as much for running backs, let's say you take one in the first round, you'd be paying probably about uh, about 1.2 million or so a year if you took them at 16 with how the cap at least has worked. Going to be about a, about two, three, maybe just under five million at most as far as for your cap number. That doesn't count that fifth year. Uh, contract escalator that you have a fifth year option and that's one of the cases at least john is would you rather be having a running back that you can probably get for three million total as we've seen for the cardinals or have a different position that you're essentially being able to find at value uh let's go and shift at least talking a little bit uh we're gonna go over some best and worst case scenarios for the cardinals in the first round of the draft but let's at least have a quick talk there's been at least a bit more i guess you could say rumblings based on the two extra pro days, one for Justin Fields, the quarterback, and one for Trey Lance. A bit a bit more rumblings that maybe the Mac Jones at three isn't quite the lock that it was. The numbers at Vegas at least have moved where Jones is still the favorite, but things have moved a little bit. The one thing that seems pretty certain is that does not seem like Zach Wilson is going to fall to that number three pick. Uh, I think we can pretty much at least rule out Justin Fields at two. You know, hey, if we're wrong on that, then you can come back at least and hear that. But what are your thoughts, at least when it comes to the Cardinals, as far as with their division rival having given up so many different picks, at least, for the uh, caliber to be able to get a guy on a rookie deal, re-sign guys, not to mention if it's a hit. What are you, your thoughts, at least, as far as between some of the three different options? Do you have kind of a leader or a favorite? And how much should Cardinals fans, you think, uh, worry about the Niners and their situation versus just doing their best uh, to take care of business at home and not looking across at your neighbor? Yeah, I... I think it's it's important to put a caveat at the top of this that the San Francisco 49ers were going to make a hard push. It's not to say they would have gotten him, but a hard push for Deshaun Watson. And that would have been a disastrous, disastrous scenario for this franchise. Pre-allegations for Deshaun Watson that we're not here to comment on. But if that had happened, that would have that might have ended the Cardinal franchise. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I, I'm being serious in the sense that like that is what they're missing. And that would immediately make them... I don't know, Super Bowl co-favorites with Tampa and Kansas City. And then, oh, by the way, the Cardinals have never beaten Sean McVay and the, and the Seahawks have nine straight winning seasons. I mean, that that would have been it for Arizona. So I, I take a little bit of a deep breath knowing that that's not a possibility at all. And I get I get it. Carolina was going to be in that mix. They have a higher draft pick, but you could argue San Francisco has more high-end talent they could have offered. That was a very real thing. So for people who don't think he would have ended up there, I would say there was a 50-50 chance. Um, so now we move on to to Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and, and Mac Jones. I, I I think that one of any of these three guys are going to have some kind of success as long as they're you know adults off the field, mature enough to grasp Kyle Shanahan's offense. Because Kyle Shanahan he's a he's a good offensive coach. He's not elite, but he's a good offensive coach, good enough to take Jimmy Garoppolo to to the Super Bowl with an elite defensive coordinator in Robert Sala, but they've had some coaching turnover. They've had some changes. I can tell you what, I don't care who it is as a rookie. The Cardinals need to be better than San Francisco next year. The Cardinals have a better roster. They have a, a, whomever they start is going to have, they're going to have a better quarterback. So as, as, as far as 2021, there's, there's no excuse for them not to be above them in the standings. That's number one. 
Um, projected out long, because of all the capital that they gave up, you're going to see, I think, San Francisco very active in free agency. They're going to have a quarterback making no money, a la Kyler Murray, the last couple of years. See what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo. But they have to supplement the fact that they're not having these first-round picks each of the next two years after this year. So they're going to go out and they're going to spend big money. So be prepared for that. And number three is the Mac Jones stuff to me will not feel real until it actually happens. Kind of similar, Blake, to the Kyler Murray stuff. As much as everybody wants Mac Jones, who I do think would win games in San Francisco, I, that's not going to feel real to me until it happens. Um, I I think if I had to put money on it today, I would say it'll be Trey Lance. I think that there is something to be said about keeping Jimmy Garoppolo in-house if they can't move him to New England, if New England strikes out on one of these quarterbacks, if you keep Jimmy in-house and you take Trey Lance, who didn't play football last year, who came from essentially one AA North Dakota State, and then have that kind of be the passing of the baton sometime next year or even the following year, to me that just makes more sense. Um, the Justin Fields stuff, you and I have said it for a while, Blake, it just feels like NFL media and draft Twitter is higher on Justin Fields than, than league insiders. Otherwise, he'd be going second overall to the to the Jets, who by all accounts are locked in on Zach Wilson. So I, at this point, I'm pretty numb to it. I'm enjoying the intrigue right now and like the disastrous fallout that would come from Mac Jones. I would love it. It would be great. It would be the second best thing to to the Cardinals landing Kyle Pitts, in my opinion, that that could happen in the first round. But I just think that all this feels like a very, very much of a deep breath because the Niners didn't land Deshaun Watson. But I, I just think. It does not. I don't care who they get it at pick number three. The Cardinals have to beat them next year. They have to finish above them in the standings um, to have any shot at the postseason to save people's jobs. You cannot be losing to Jimmy Garoppolo or I don't care how good Justin Fields is or God forbid Mac Jones or Trey Lance. You need to almost sweep San Francisco next year. You've got you've loaded up on both sides of the ball. They're going to draft. You would hope two impact players in this draft in the upcoming weeks. That's where my head's at now. But like. Long term, like this is either going to make Kyle Shanahan's career be a made man in San Francisco, because you got to remember, he's got three out of four losing seasons, three out of four, almost top 10 picks. The year they took McGlitchy, they were right outside the top 10. So I just think that to me, Kyle Shanahan is either going to become a 49er staple in the same way guys like, um, you know, Sean Payton in New Orleans, that kind of mind, or he's going to become a disaster and he's never going to get a head job again. And they're going to have to pivot and start over. And I think most people assume if they take Mac Jones, that's the more likely occurrence because Mac Jones, such a limited ceiling, can't move, is more of what they've had, is the cousins s type of player, which, of course, you can win with. But Justin Fields, Trey Lance has the high upside extending the play that you can't really coach. But Shanahan is very much a product of his father. They love the scheme fit. They want to make sure that the guys operate the offense and don't ad lib too much. So it's it's all really high level drama. Um, I I want to believe the Mac Jones stuff. I'm not gonna. I, if I had to put money on, it, I would say it would be Trey Lance, just because I can't I can't foresee that happening until it actually does. I have Trey Lance there as well. I think that we some have pointed out that despite the fact that Justin Fields has been a part of the quarterback collective for multiple years, it just does not seem to make a whole lot of sense for why the Niners, after trading up to three, would drop a huge or heavy smoke screen if it's pretty much a lock that Fields would then be the pick. It's probably part of where either they're, you know, either they're a bunch of degenerates trying to keep people in the dark or they're really looking at potentially 
being able to see if they can get other teams to question whether they do. Yeah, if they're going to take Trey Lance, and all of a sudden then that sets up things a little bit differently for the Atlanta Falcons, who may have to decide whether they're taking Kyle Pitts or if their guy is Lance and he drops to them, maybe that changes and pivots things um, a little bit for the most part. I think we can keep following this story as it goes. Uh, a lot of what it'll come down to ultimately, I think, is this is probably going to be Kyle Shanahan's one and only shot at being able to add a franchise quarterback. Uh, we saw how the Rams essentially chose to go with a veteran and Matt Stafford versus trading up in the draft for a rookie. We saw how the Niners did the opposite approach. Uh, we, we got to see Cliff Kingsbury already essentially hit what you could say, compared to where people were talking at the time, John, the result has probably been a home run for Arizona and everything except for, obviously, playoff appearances. But uh, moving on from Josh Rosen and taking Kyler Murray, despite the fact that a lot of people mocked the move at the time, uh, has been at least seen as an overall success. And that will determine the NFC West for the years to come. All right, let's go ahead and talk about best case and worst case scenario. So, John, you can probably give a little bit as far as for what your best case scenario would be before we start looking at some of the different potential problems. Let's focus specifically on around with that first round and the 16th pick. Some people may look at that and say that a trade back would be the worst, uh, I should say the best case scenario for the team, being able to acquire either a extra third or a fourth round pick. Um, I think at least, John, we can probably both agree if you're going to be aggressive and if it happens, let's say that you have a scenario where four quarterbacks go top four, the Bengals go offensive line, and I, I have a feeling it's going to be Rashawn Slater and not Panay Sewell who would go then in that scenario. And then you would look at the Dolphins. If they're locked in on the likes of a Devonta Smith to repair with Tua Tagovailoa, or even if they go Jamar Chase at wide receiver looking at Mike Gesicki, you talk about Kyle Pitts sitting there at 7 for the Detroit Lions without any quarterbacks, at least not you know, assuming Mac Jones is quarterback 5 on their board and they wouldn't be interested. I would argue at least that that's probably more of a lateral move from Jared Goff. Um, at worst, at best, you know, you're talking about maybe a Jimmy Garoppolo type guy. I think that he's got a, you know, kind of that higher ceiling but lower floor type of potential. Or I should say, a, yeah, a low ceiling, high floor type of potential there with Mac. And some of that's just based on he's not as athletic as some of the other guys are. Would you at least say that a lot of the talk that we've seen with the Cardinals about potentially giving up a future one to trade up for Kyle Pitts, it feels like that would be the swinging for the fences type move, but you look at that type of a offense where you've got Kyler is a passing and rushing threat, DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green outside, Christian Kirk in the slot, you slide Kyle Pitts there suddenly and your, your regular... 11 personnel is looks nearly impossible for NFL guys to defend as long as Pitts is able to make an impact as a rookie and especially in the red zone. That I think at least would probably be your number one best case scenario, but there's a couple others we can get into too. Yeah, it's interesting, Blake. We were before the podcast today checking out Mike Clay does his NFL unit grades, not for like fantasy, just he ranks all of the units in the NFL and it's like a red to green based ranking system. And I think the Cardinals as a team are like 10 to 12th overall um, based on all of that. Um, and you pointed it out, Blake, the lowest the lowest grade for the team when they have a lot of high grades. They've got 2.6 on their old line, which is high. They've got a 3.1 at receiver, which is a little higher than I think. They have the lowest rated tight end grade in the NFL. And I don't think that would shock anybody, but 
they've got a 0.1, which is Daryl Daniels and, and Mike Williams, or Matt, Matt, Mike Williams, Max Williams. Um, yeah, Max Williams, the the tight end for the Cardinals, uh, not not a pass catcher though. He's a run blocker. So you, you look at that and you're like, hmm, okay. Well, they haven't really improved, in my opinion, offensively yet this offseason, with all due respect, in, in, in terms of playmakers. I, I don't think they've improved enough. Uh, they've gotten better on the offensive line. They got a James Conner, but w- by all accounts, I still think they need better options at receiver. Well, this would help in two folds because you'd have a transcendent tight end in the mold of a receiver that we just we haven't seen in Arizona since Jackie Smith, and we haven't really seen in the NFL come out. The only co- comparable is, is Vernon Davis. So I'm going to give you a couple tiers of what I think the Cardinals, this is my opinion of the tiers that I think that they are weighing right now. I have no insight into this, but just as an outsider who covers the team like you, this is my opinion. I think their first preference is if, if Kyle Pitts makes it past um, pick six to Miami Dolphins, which I... I do not believe will happen. Our buddy Benjamin Albright thinks he's going within the first five picks. So let's just get this out of the way. If Miami, if if Miami passes on Kyle Pitts and he gets to Detroit, who by all accounts doesn't want another for, you know top ten tight end, that's when the Cardinals are going to be open for business. And I do think that they would send a future one up to him. And if you ask Steve Kine, maybe best case scenario, maybe that would be it. Okay, so let's put that out of out of the realm of possibility. Then I think there's a tier of four players next. That if any of these four players end up at pick 16, the Cardinals will stand pat and take said player. And they all happen to be positions of need that you and I assess. That being the two Alabama receivers, Devontae Smith. Three of these players play for the same team. Uh, Devontae Smith of Alabama, Jalen Waddell of Alabama, both wide receivers. Patrick Sertain, the second, the young prodigy corner that I was tweeting out the other day, was covering CeeDee Lamb in the Kyler Murray Alabama, Oklahoma, uh, you know, final four game a couple years ago as an 18 year old. I mean, he's a he's a prodigy player, I think, has the highest floor of any single corner in this draft. Um, And then, of course, my favorite prospect right now going who I think is going to be a top 10 player is J.C. Horn, South Carolina, who's a more athletic Richard Sherman. Dad, Joe Holm was a big time Pro Bowl NFL receiver. I think those are the big four that if any one of those players fall to the Cardinals, they will take said player, and they will stand pat. Then you get into the realm of, okay, like Rashawn Slater, Panay Sewell, we don't think are going to fall to 16. I'm not even going to discuss Jamar Chase. That's a that's a waste of time. So it's like, okay, some of these secondary options. Micah Parsons, does the off-the-field stuff concern you? Does it concern you that he could play both inside and outside, and it's too much of a Hassan Reddick deal? I'm going to separate him from from the possibility right now, although I would take him and consider him. I don't know if the team has any interest. Elijah Vera Tucker guard from USC. Is that somebody that the Cardinals want to sit and not play year one behind somebody like Brian Winters, Josh Jones, uh, or Justin Murray, Zavin Collins, Quiddy pay the kid from the D tackle from Alabama. To me, I think that outside of trading up for Kyle Pitts or getting one of the big four, I just mentioned, then it's like, can we trade down? two to five picks, recoup a third that we lost, or if they were to trade down far enough and based on the draft chart, Blake, to get a second round pick from where they're at now, and this is all up in the air. Not everybody operates from the draft chart, right? 
But I did for this scenario, if they go from 15 to 24 and trade with Pittsburgh or below, that would constitute a second round pick. Anything before then, you're talking a third or a third plus, maybe a third and a five. Remember, it only took Arizona a third and a five to go from 15 to 10 with the Raiders to get Josh Rosen, but that was a slight underpay most felt like. So if you want a second, you got to go down to 24 with Pittsburgh. And who knows? Mac Jones falls to 16. The Steelers want to come up and take him. That could be an advantageous position. Or if you've got teams like the Washington football team, the Chicago Bears, 19 and 20, they want to jump each other. Maybe Kimes on the phone and says, just give us your third. You can come up to pick 16. I think that would be his preference. And then it really opens up a multitude of opportunities because now you've recouped that third that you've lost and maybe some more picks. Could you go Greg Newsome? Could you go Caleb Farley? Could you go Asante Samuel Jr.? Could you go Rashad Bateman? Because I think those are all players that, while we'd be fine with them at 16, we we prefer, if we're staying at 16, Blake, to get a, a, a premium player, maybe with a top 12 grade that falls because of all these quarterbacks going early. So I just think that right now it's Kyle Pitts, the big four, trade down for one of these second tier options. And one of those second tier options could be, could be a Jalen Phillips. It could be a, uh, you know, an outside pass rusher. It could be a Najee Harris, somebody like that. Elijah Moore. Um, you know, if they love a tackle or an interior offensive lineman, why not? But I don't think you can take one of those players right now. And they might, we don't know who they love unless at 16, unless, unless you trade down first, that's just my opinion. Yeah, John, I, I would agree with you that uh, having the trade-up option or looking at you know, one of the top two corners or one of the two Bama receivers would probably be your best-case scenario for the Cardinals. It's very hard to see a talented player like them falling um, past that. I think that when you're talking about a trade back for a pick and taking one of those guys in the first round to fill a position of need and add a pick, I think that's probably your happy medium type of scenario. That's where you would talk about how, hey, you know, we didn't get the guy who was a top 10 talent on the board, but we were able to supplement that with a trade back and getting a pick. It would be similar to the Cardinals 2014 draft where they didn't see the top linebacker fall. They didn't see, you know, a top pass rusher fall. They trade back a few spots and are able to get a pick that they used on John Brown in addition to Dayon Buchanan and you got good enough uh, I would say production from those two players to be able to call that draft a success neither of course signed a second contract but when you're talking about hitting on picks you're always going to at least want to get a single or a double versus striking out at the plate if you hit a home run that obviously is best case and you know you never know how things will go down the road there's players at least who may fall to 16 at Arizona who they take who end up turning into a total stud more than some of the guys who went before them it's part of the uh, intrigue of the NFL draft uh, let's aim then as far as but before we get into worst case scenarios uh, just a bit as far as with the Micah Parsons talk I know you got a bit of flack on social media when you chose to make that pick for the linebacker over the likes of Jalen Waddle, and uh, I kind of can understand some of the intrigue also as far as when you look at that 2013 
Cardinals season where they had that elite linebacker play with the likes of Carlos Dansby and Darrell Washington. Uh, you talk about a team like the Carolina Panthers, who for years had Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis. Uh, the Niners, I believe, having Navarro Bowman with Patrick Willis, it just gives you a advantage in a lot of different ways where you're able to utilize things all over the field. I get some of the intrigue of pairing a freak athlete like Parsons with the likes of Isaiah Simmons. I just don't know if Arizona is going to be able to take him because some of that, as far as for the competency, is a more athletic Daryl Washington and this is kind of maybe the whole package. Obviously, Washington had probably enough flat coming out that he fell to the second round. Um, Parsons, at least, uh, after we talked about some of the hazing incidents against uh, his former teammate Isaiah Humphreys, um, you're talking at least about how there was at least reports of there was a fight that took place at least where... Um, Essentially, Parsons, it was said, was choking Humphreys out. Humphreys drew a knife on him. The coach kind of seemed to quiet stuff down. There also, at least, was the um, fact that he alleged sexual harassment. Essentially, like you're talking about a lot as far as for just kind of hazing your teammate, a lot as far as when it came to the likes of either your genitalia or teasing. Um, for the most part, it was just one of those places where you get into some of the details and see one of the suspensions. Like uh, Some of that stuff at least goes in where you would call it maturity concerns. I don't think it's one of those places where you just take a guy and say he's completely, like, totally off of the board. But we add up a couple of those things together, it ends up being a place where it's like, all right, it's a concern. I'm always one to be able to say to let guys have at least a chance to turn over a new leaf. But if you do end up saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and take a chance on one of these guys, we think that they're at least going to be, you know, we'll bring them into our locker room, they'll be able to grow up, show some maturity. There's maturity types, at least, of guys like DJ Humphreys, who matures from that knee-deep. And on the other side, there's also guys like a Robert Kandichi who it seems like that the red flags and warning signs were there. And that's something I think Arizona's going to have to figure out with a guy like Parsons, who I've seen him go as high and as early as pick number nine or even eight to the likes of the Panthers or the Denver Broncos. I've seen him fall back to pick 17, even into the 20s. And that's something I think the NFL teams are obviously going to be aware of. Um, talk a bit, at least, as far as for if you have an approach, would you say that the Cardinals should stack at least any type of talent at the linebacker spot? Because I personally, I even would say looking from the on-field, when you talked about the Reddit combination, I think you already have that guy in the likes of Isaiah Simmons that you drafted to fill that role as far as a guy who can drop back, who can be able to cover, and then be able to blitz off the edge. I would almost look at more of like an Owosu Karamoa or even the likes of, uh, I think at least, there's Avon Collins and Jameen Davis are the other first-round linebackers that we've seen projected. I think both of those guys fit more of that middle-of-the-field role, and I really don't know if either would start over the likes of Jordan Hicks, considering what we know now about their defensive coordinator and Vance Joseph, John. Yeah, I. it was kind of a troll job. I... Here's the hardest thing is like I'm team chaos that you kind of embrace, John. And that's good as far as the discussion because you may have that scenario on draft day. Well, and I think that more and more I'm having trouble placing him in the top 15. Yet our buddy Benjamin Albright has him going top 10 still. So it's like, where's the true value on the field? He's a top 10 player. That's that can't be disputed. Typically, the best linebacker in the draft, if they're if they have that kind of skill set, goes Roquan Smith, of course Isaiah Simmons, um, White, the kid out of uh, LSU that went to Tampa. Like the top linebacker in the draft goes in the top ten, 
But now with the uncertainty off the field stuff, which I did not take into account during our mock, that was just for fun. Um, I just kind of threw a wrench in there, kind of see how people would react. But by all accounts, Blake, I've seen Xavier Collins go before him in several mocks now. And I think that, you know, you can never discount off the field issues raising a red flag. If we're just talking on the field, he's a better player, in my opinion. Um, and he's, you know, Buckus Award winner, two-time All-American, somebody who can come in and I think be the the field general that Isaiah Simmons can be the Swiss Army knife, and you have both just the two most athletic inside linebackers in the NFL, give you flexibility if you want to play single linebacker coverage that you could move Isaiah Simmons to safety, strong safety. It would just be, I mean, a, a smart defensive coordinator would really be able to take advantage. Um, with that being said, I just think that the, the closer we get to the draft, I think the Cardinals are going to say, there's some nice developmental linebackers in this draft if they're able to pick up an additional third or fourth the kid from uh, Ohio State, I read an article about him earlier today. He's he's drawing, War, Pete Warner's drawing comparisons to Fred Warner, whether or not you believe that. Tanner Vallejo, I think, is going to get a chance to see some snaps defensively. And as much as we were disappointed with Jordan Hicks' outing last season, he was good two years ago, and they're going to give him one more shot. So uh, the Cardinals, to me, have bigger needs at receiver and corner and to a lesser extent running back. So I, I don't think it's something that tomorrow needs to be addressed. But I also think that if you're put in a position where you feel like a guy is a premier blue chip player, and if you go in the top 10, by all accounts, you're generally a blue chip player, and he falls to 16 for whatever reason, and he's healthy, and, you, and you're good with the off-the-field stuff, I mean, uh, not a great comparison, but like Frank Clark once upon a time fell all the way to the third round to the Seahawks, and they took him, and they reaped the benefits. Same with Orlando Brown, had a little bit of off-the-field stuff, and he's become one of the best tackles in all football to Baltimore. So I just think that, again, it can go that way, or it can go the Kim Dietschy way. My thought is because they've already been through the Kim Dietschy situation and the question of whether or not he loved football, which is not a question people, by the way, are asking about Michael Parsons. That's a different conversation. But it's just a category in and of itself. The off-the-field issues with the first-round pick. The guy's got to be not a Boy Scout, but you got to be a great person off the field, high-character guy. Because this GM, this regime, has already gone through that with Robert Kimdichi, I would say there's a there's a decent chance that Kime's going to be able to, to talk to guys, Rick Spielman, Bill Belichick, picking right in front of him, GMs that he respects. Why aren't you guys in on Michael Parsons? You guys could both— use a linebacker like Micah Parsons. Well, we got issues X, Y, and Z. My guess is kind would also pass in that scenario. So for those of you who are concerned about that, I think either Micah Parsons goes in the top 10 or he gets, and if he doesn't, I think he gets by the Cardinals at pick 16. Yeah. I don't see him. I think being the pick anyway, just as far as a need fit. I think that he's a guy that he did not take Isaiah Simmons last year. You plug him on that weak side. Uh, I actually think Zayvon Collins would be the guy like, and this is maybe you look at a trade back. Although some of, as you said, talk about him as a top 15 player. Look at a guy who is six, five, 260 pounds, just height weight. And then he ran a, Four six five, I believe, as far as for the 40. He's got a great short shuttle, too. So you're talking about essentially like one of those dudes who just is a huge freak in the middle of the field who is able to kind of take on that strong side. Um, the comparison I would give is imagine if you could be able to take the um, 
some of the coverage attributes that you had of like how when Hassan Reddick was covering or even uh, Devondre Campbell last year. Now imagine that guy juiced up. You're then talking about having two incredibly um, dynamic athletes at the position who also are just freaky as far as size or ain't no undersize with either of those guys i could see it where parsons just because of the need is not going to be drafted by the cardinals unless he you know let's say they falls to round two they feel like they can move him to mike i don't see that being the fa factor in any case let's go and talk about the worst case scenarios before we kind of work our way back to a couple of players or other spots where we'd be like eh, we're not like you know enthralled maybe with them but we would at least love it if the cardinals pick them because then you could at least say that that checks a box let's go through these worst case scenarios because we've had a couple of them john at least and one of them i think that sticks out to me is uh, you talk about how in this scenario the cardinals all right so you're talking about a mock draft where three quarterbacks go in the first three picks you've got justin fields at pick number three i, I think that he's maybe the this is what'll be interesting i think between one of him or trey lance will be good but the other may end up having a few issues it will depend on how their flaws play out in the nfl it's obviously very rare that you have you know three quarterbacks go in the first three picks um, and all three of them turn out. Even the 2018 draft, we didn't see that. Kyle Pitts has gone by four to the Falcons. There's no trade down for a quarterback scenario there. Uh, you then look at Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, and Jalen Waddle all then go in the next three picks. So the three quarterbacks are gone. Um, you then talk about how uh, Panay Sewell, Patrick Sertan, Rashawn Slater, and J.C. Horn. Okay, so there's kind of the other top 10 talents are all gone off the board. Then we get into a unique situation. So if that scenario plays out, no, no, the local Arizona sports, John Gambadoro, he likes Elijah Vera Tucker. Obviously, I don't think there's inside info in there. He's a solid guy who played, I believe, left tackle for the uh, likes of the uh, USC He's a guy that most people have as their top offensive guard who slides in. He's very athletic. A lot of people at least are saying Rashawn Slater would be an all-pro at guard, but really it's like he's athletic enough and a much of a mauler that it's kind of the what I call the Tristan Wirfs argument. You could move Tristan Wirfs in and play guard, but why would you? Just plug him in over at your tackle position, and he'll still be at least at a Pro Bowl caliber level. Him going at least by 13, and then you talk about where if you get to pick 14, you talk about Tevin Jenkins, who is a tackle who I love because of his physicality, his ability just to kind of blow guys off the ball. He's out of Oklahoma State. If he goes there and then you get to the New England Patriots, Mac Jones would still be on the board. Let's say they either would take him or even if they would take, you know, one of the other guys the Cardinals could be interested in, whether it's a pass rusher or um, even the likes at least of, you know, like say the offensive lineman the Cardinals would like. Suddenly you're stuck at pick you know, 16, like, and even if you're, let's, let's even take it a step further. Let's say the Cardinals are content with to take Caleb Farley. If he's on the board, they're good with the medicals. Let's say that he goes at pick 16 to the Patriots. They've got a second round tender on JC Jackson may let another team pay him. And they've got Stefan Gilmore is over age 30. Let's say all those guys at least are gone from what it seems like the medicals and questions on the Miami edge rushers are out John, in that scenario, 
What do you really do in fear of the Cardinals if you're not able to trade back? I feel like that would be kind of the worst case scenario because you could maybe say you'd like to take a running back in that situation, but you're then kind of almost forced into it if you feel like that's the top talent on your board rather than being able to have some of that flexibility. And what are your thoughts, at least in that type of scenario? What would you look at if you're the Cardinals either in player or just maybe some of the positions if you get to that worst case scenario and no one really wants to trade up? Yeah, it's, it's going to be rough. We're going to have to talk ourselves into somebody. In all seriousness, Caleb Farley was the top corner entering this year. He opted out for a reason, knew he was going to be a, a quintessential top first half of the first round pick. He's got a back flare up. It's not great. I don't love guys getting hurt even before they put on NFL pads. He doesn't have a history of being hurt at the college level. And by all accounts, he says he's healthy now. Um, we'll wait and see on that. I, I just, to me, I if I'm picking a player I want him to kind of check all the boxes from day one and have a clean slate. And I don't want to give the fan base if I'm kind and company an excuse to be like, well, we knew he was going to be hurt in the pros because he got hurt, you know, getting ready for the NFL draft, getting ready for the next level. So I would be fine with Caleb Farley in the twenties or later. I, I, I just think that you miss the entire draft process. You're unable to work out for anybody I don't think that warrants a top 16 pick. Some of this is just like you, you need to kind of be healthy by default here. It's a job interview. You're, we're investing. The team is investing guaranteed money, and you could conceivably never play for them and still collect that money. So this is maybe being a little bit dramatic with that. But that just to me that or, you know, one of the second or third tier edge rushers like a Quiddy Pay or Jalen Phillips, I, I think that that would have a long-term outlook on that said player, which is great because both Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden are getting up there in age. Golden will be 30, I think, or is 30 now and is under a two-year deal. Devon Kennard, neither of us are high on and think he could still be cut. Chandler Jones, we think is going to be extended, but we don't know. So, okay, you're doubling down on pass rushers. You get Jalen Phillips in there. You know he'll play. Say what you want about Vance Joseph. He rotates two positions on his defense with young players, defensive line and edge rushers. It's inside backers and everybody in the secondary that he is reluctant to rotate with young players, Byron Murphy and Isaiah Simmons. But if Christian Barmore is there, here's what I'll say. Kime has been infatuated with premier defensive line talent from the SEC each of the last two years in Quentin Williams and Derek Brown. And it, of course, didn't have a chance to draft Quinnen because he took Kyler out of necessity. Would have taken Derek Brown at eight, but he went to Carolina at pick seven, so he took Simmons. What if they have a top 10 grade on Christian Barmore? What if they think that Christian Barmore can be their next dominant five technique? He's got a Pro Bowl potential as a run stuffer and a pass stuffer, by all accounts. And Bama tackles, defensive tackles, say what you want. They don't bust. It's just dependent on how high... Will their, will their ceiling be? Are you going to get Pro Bowl-level play? You certainly feel like you can get good quality play from day one. But they've invested so much on the defensive line, and I'm not even including, let's not even talk about the two fourth-rounders last year because day three picks, to me, are all lottery tickets anyway. But you took a kid in um, Zach Allen, top of the third round, first pick of the third round, hasn't been able to stay healthy, still coming only into his third year. He needs to start. Jordan Phillips, you gave a massive contract to. He needs to start. You've got a player by the name of J.J. Watt now in the fold. He's got to play. Then you've got Leckie Foe to him, Rashad Lawrence, 
both last year, who's coming into this year, who could be ahead of Barmore on the depth chart. That, to me, is not a fit either. So I just think that with the state of the Cardinals secondary now, and they could they could sign a Richard Sherman after the draft. That that could be a possibility. They could sign a, a, a Rashad Breland after the draft. That That's a possibility. But I just think that they're going into this draft lockstep, lockstep on taking a corner with one of their first two picks. And I think the other pick, in my opinion, has to be an offensive weapon for Kyler Murray. I think that if another talent falls to them, they'll assess it. Their offensive line depth is, is is as good as it's ever been. That's not by coincidence, right? They filled some of these secondary needs so they can be aggressive. If a Jalen Waddle or a Devontae Smith or, God forbid, <laughs> Kyle Pitts falls, and you can take one of those players and not feel bad about it. The, the, the second-tier options at corner, I don't love them. I like a lot of them. You know, I like the kid from <clears throat> Georgia, Eric Stokes. I, I like Asante Samuel Jr. I know they do too. They've met with him a couple times. Those are guys you can't take at 16, but you get back enough draft capital you want to move down, or if somebody's available at 49, now we're talking. And yeah, John, so when we're looking at the positions, there's been three concussions for the likes of Phillips, Quiddy Pay, while he's got uh, checks the boxes on a lot of those measurables the film wasn't necessarily elite for him so I think that looking at that position I agree with you that Christian Barmore you could say that it fills a need we've also seen in the NFL that a lot of draft Knicks and essentially mock draft experts always seem to be a bit higher on defensive linemen going earlier and earlier in the draft even sometimes having guys, you know, two or three rounds ahead. Like a good example is Rashard Lawrence is a guy who was getting second round hype from some places last year, some mock drafts. He falls all the way to the fourth round. And that's where I could at least see where maybe you could talk about Barmore, but I don't think that he would be a guy that I'd want to take. And I agree with you. That'd be more of looking at that as a worst case scenario. Uh, let me go over three guys who I think when you're talking about, let's say, you know, the happy medium when you're talking about trading back for a few players, let's say they stay at 16. These would be players who I wouldn't be like, you know, jumping off the walls for, but I would at least be able to say that they're acceptable. And that would be cornerback Greg Newsom out of Northwestern. He's the cornerback three. Some people even have him ahead of Caleb Farley. He doesn't have the same medical issues. Or and people forget Farley was a guy who was a wide receiver recruit. He played corner late, sat out all of last season. That would be something with Newsom. You talk about looking at his tape, the flexibility. He's a guy who I could see coming in, being able to, you know, if if Robert Alford went down outside, I think that he'd be at least a little bit of a higher spot than the likes of Byron Murphy to begin with. So you could probably have him then develop for about a season, get playing time in, especially in four corner sets if teams you know go four wide against the Cardinals. You could rotate him in given the likes of if Jalen Thompson's healthy with how Buda Baker will be lining up. That would be one that I would say, yeah, here, that would be great. It fills a need. I think that it's a spot where he checks all of the boxes, at least to a guy who maybe isn't going to be the same guy who you know can cover a Julio Jones or has that freaky upside that Horn or Sertan would have, but he would at least check the box and fill a need. I could see that being a pick there. Uh, the second, at least for me, there would be the O-lineman Tevin Jenkins. Again, Ron Mahler. I think that he's a guy you could stick at tackle. It wouldn't be maybe the favorite because, you know, 
it's really hard to see him fill a spot on the line right now as far as when you've got Humphreys entrenched at left tackle. You've got your right tackle is set. But if you wanted to be able to move on from one of your veterans and bring him in at one of the tackle spots, that could be another spot where, or maybe things just kind of change up and he ends up being one of those run maulers at least where it's like, hey, like this guy's too good to keep off the field. We'll plug him in at right guard for a whole year and then he could either fill in for the likes of Justin Pugh or move out to right tackle after that point. Uh, he's a guy who's just talented enough that when I say you, you can never have too many offensive linemen He's a guy I would say that you can take there, and I just don't think he's going to be there after a trade back. There's enough teams, and he's a high-quality enough player. And the third, at least, would be Rashad Bateman, who is the wide receiver out of Minnesota. He's a guy who he doesn't have like this, uh, someone said at least, he's kind of a, not quite a master of all trade or a jack of all trades, master of none. He's a guy who doesn't have a completely dominant trait, like the likes of how Smith or what we've seen from some of the other top wide receivers. But when it comes to how he releases off the line to how crisp his routes are overall, he's able to get separation. And he's only 190 pounds. He plays bigger than it. A lot of people thought that he was going to probably be look like a 215 type of guy on tape. Um, he was listed at six foot, 200. I think it was 220 pounds in Minnesota. He came in at uh, six foot and 190. So when you're talking about comps, there's some lower upside comps and then a higher upside. Some of the ones that you can talk about are maybe that fits much more of a Marquise Lee. Uh, as far as for the body type. The others that at least stick out to me would be the number, I guess maybe the number one or number two wide receiver in the league at Stefan Diggs. Very similar coming out, having solid hands, being able to separate with route running, even having some speed to get over the top. The guy I could see him having a similar impact to, it would be my comp, would be Emmanuel Sanders, a guy who was six foot, he was some, you know, about 190 pounds, wasn't the biggest guy, but he just knew how to get open, was able to be kind of an immediate wide receiver too for whatever team he was on, he was able to produce. So those would be three guys I'd say at 16 that I would be probably fine with the Cardinals taking any of them. Wouldn't be one of those places where like, you know, you're dancing off the walls like a best case scenario. But in that spot, John, I think it's at least good that the Cardinals will have options with this first round. Do you have anything else as far as looking at any happy mediums for the different picks? I know we haven't talked about any of the running backs, at least for the most part yet, or even some of the other trade back scenarios. Uh, what would be some of your thoughts on other p potential options for Arizona in the first? Yeah, I like Newsom a lot. I think he's going to be somebody who might sneak into the top 20. Um you know, you know, he's got high intellect going to Northwestern and he tested off the charts. I think he ran a sub four, four. He's big, uh, over six foot. He's, he's a quintessential outside press man corner. Um, so yeah, I think he could jump Caleb Farley and, and be the third corner off the board. Um, some of these second tier receivers, I like just not for Arizona. I don't think they want to go for an undersized player. Um, similar to what they have in, in Andy Isabella and Christian Kirk to a lesser extent. I think they want those big outside receivers, somebody like a Terrace, Terrace Marshall. Um, now, that's not somebody that I would necessarily take at 16, but if you're looking at a, a trade-down scenario into the 20s, maybe he's available at 49. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. Um, will never be, by all accounts, the 1B to Hopkins, but somebody who had a high yards per catch at LSU at over 15, double-digit touchdowns, just a consistent presence that has gotten better 
each of his last three years. I think he's what Hakeem Butler should have been as just a nice complimentary outside receiver. He's somebody that I think I'd have no problem taking him. It just might shock some people in a, in a large trade down scenario into the late 20s. Um, you know, and then you just you have to go by the account of what kind of in a trade down scenario, what kind of package are you receiving? And is it enough for you to go BPA in the 20s and take a running back or take a tackle or take an edge player? I I just think we're so far into this make or break season that the pick 16, if they stand pat, has to fill a need with one of the premier players at that position. Like we mentioned, Sertain, Horn, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, or a trade up for a Chase or a Pitts. Um, I, I don't think that right now, realistically, anybody else can really even be considered. I know that's a narrow way of thinking, but I mean, you can't s expect to bring in somebody like A.J. Green at this stage of his career and think that that's going to solve your intermediate passing game woes, especially when you subtract a player like Dan Arnold that was so good in the middle of the field. And now you've got to, you know, integrate a new player like Green. You don't know what you're going to get week in and week out, unfortunately, from a guy like Christian Kirk. One week he's going off for 100 plus yards. The next couple of weeks he, he's barely on the stat sheet. So I think they just they want to for, find a more complementary presence in the passing game. Of course, you know, the running backs to me, it's it's a it's a toss up because of course you don't want to take one too high, but if their dimensions if they're if they're interchangeable enough that you can sell them kind of like what the Packers do with Aaron Jones. The Packers consider Aaron Jones their second leading receiver. If Travis Etienne comes in and he's putting up 1,000 yards rushing, 500-plus yards receiving, and he's a default number two receiver to Hopkins or somebody else, uh, a complimentary receiver in the passing game, that's worth more than just your straight-line running back. Um, and that's why I prefer him and Najee Harris, who's an exceptional receiver, to somebody like Javante Williams, who's more just a straight line in between the tackles runner. Travis Etienne and Najee Harris, I believe, will both go somewhere between picks 20 to 32. I think they're both going to be first-round picks. I don't think either one of them gets to the second day. So you're just going to have to have an honest conversation with yourself in the draft room about how we're going to use this guy, what kind of role is he going to have, is he going to get so many touches, kind of like what you do with Chase Edmonds, but certainly with Najee and Travis, you're going to have a higher floor than, than what, or higher upside, I should say, than what Chase Edmonds has. And then I just, to me, I, I'm all for more pass, pass rushers, more guys who can pressure opposing quarterbacks, especially in this division. But this is a down year for that division. It's a down year for defensive tackle. I don't know if you're going to put all your chips into that basket. It's a stud tackle, quarterback, wide receiver, corner class. And I think that you have to lean into one of those prospects this year more than any year because it's a make-or-break season. I, there's just you, you look at positions like edge and, and five technique and three technique and safety, and to a lesser extent, maybe a little bit of inside linebacker. It's just not a great class for those guys, which means next year it will be. So don't reach on a player if you don't love them. Because it's like, do you want the best defensive tackle in the, in the draft if you have to take them at 16? Or do you want to trade down and you want to take the fourth best corner who still might be better than the, the, the first defensive tackle in this, in this class? That's what they're going to have to rank and decide. 
John. And with, uh, with that, let's go ahead and shift the focus to looking at with the day two picks of the Arizona Cardinals and kind of going with position groups, some of the players that we like, guys that we think could be decent fits, starting kind of with the running back room because you mentioned uh, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. I think if Etienne does not go first round, a lot of people are thinking that he could go right at pick 33 to Jacksonville, pair him back again with Trevor Lawrence. They also had, I think it was like it was a seventh or fifth round pick at least that they got huge production last year out of. It's sometimes hard to see running backs who go that late, and like James Robinson, was uh, that was the guy, to have them sometimes duplicate those years. There's Sometimes you'll hit an Arian Foster as a type who just kind of comes out of nowhere, become one of the better backs. Really, I could see that being a case where he goes right at 33. So you're then talking about, hey, if Najee goes right at, say, 24 to Pittsburgh because they're in a win-now year with Ben, and ETN's gone at 33, you're really going to be then looking at hoping that either Javante Williams falls or having to look at the backs after that, and it's really a top-heavy class when it comes to running backs. Um, I think you can probably rule out Michael Carter as being a guy the Cardinals would look at just due to size. Javante had size issues as well. He was listed at 5'9", 220, and people expected him to run around in the 4'4s. He listed it at 5'9", 212 pounds, and ran, I think, a 4'5'5". You're talking about a guy who's a more of a bruiser back then who really isn't the bruiser back size like as we've seen with chase edmonds smaller guys who try to run guys over will end up taking on some of those different types of hits usually in the nfl Uh, seth cock compared him to chris carson so i think that it would be fine value in the second round for the likes of javante i think the question then is if these running backs are going to go off the board and you're talking about he's, I think, the only guy who's considered like a round two running back lock this year. Everyone else seems to be getting round three grades across the board or later. Ugh, that, that, that makes it where the Cardinals are going to be in kind of an interesting scenario between um, I don't, they don't have the picks, obviously, to trade up. They're not likely, I think, yeah, if you trade up for a running back, you better be desperate. I don't think they're that desperate now. So then you're looking at do the Cardinals then have the glimpses at the likes of Kenneth, Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis, uh, good pass catcher and receiver, but really just it's kind of a smaller guy. And uh, I think he had only one year of production in 2019. Still had about 1,500 total yards or so um, rushing and 600 total yards uh, through the air. So he's probably a guy as far as if you're talking about who can do both pass catching and receiving, can tote the rock. Very similar to Memphis's running back last year that went to Washington. The uh, name escapes me for right now. The other one would be Trey Sermon, who went from uh, Oklahoma to Ohio State. Guy who's not fast. He ran in the four sixes, but is very quick uh, of feet. He had, I think, one of the best overall 10-yard um, split and short shuttles, at least, coming at like 4.3 with a short shuttle, which is like um, pretty decent. But the three-con was, was impressive for his size. He's about 6'3", 215 pounds. Some have mentioned that maybe he's not a power back so much as being a guy who can be a power back, but is much more of a guy you can get him in space. He's more of a straight line guy. And uh, I think at least the, the biggest thing about him is he's got great vision. He's got balance. He can make the cuts. I think that that would be one of those spots of where if you're talking about the Cardinals wanting to pick up picks, you can trade back and still get Sermon. I think I'm at least high enough on him overall as far as he's proven. He's not got as much tread on the tires, at least, as you would think. Um, he got injured, at least, at Oklahoma. But for the most part, because of that back set, it's not like he's a guy who really has had, like, you know, four giant years of tons and tons of carries. Like, he hasn't got a 300-carry-a-year type of guy. So, in that scenario, I don't know if you take him straight at 49 
But what do you think as far as for some of the different running backs? And then we can talk about maybe a round five or six sleeper, at least if there's any that you've popped up with, John. Yeah, I, to me, unless you're taking one of the big, big two or three at pick 49, and the, the further we get into this, I just think it's either Travis Etienne or Najee Harris or Bust in terms of their, one of their first two picks. You know, I, I have no problem with a, a developmental guy. Uh, I know that um, Dan Brugler's uh, seven-round mock draft has Arizona taking Stevenson, the running back, the kid from Oklahoma, who would have, I guess, some familiarity with, with Kyler Murray. That would be a fun pairing. Um, and then, of course, you've also got, of course, Eno Benjamin, who everybody continues to tell us will have a significant role in this roster next year. I think Eno needs a, a preseason to be able to show what he can do. Um, but, you know, I like the Hubbard kid from Oklahoma State. I think his name's Chubba Hubbard. Uh, as a developmental guy, he's more of a straight line in between the tackle kind of zone blocking running back. Jamar Jefferson from Oregon State is, a, is another name to watch. Herbert, the kid from Virginia Tech, isn't a bad player. Uh, Evans, the kid from Michigan, is an in-between-the-tackle power runner. So I, you can find backs at any point. I just think that Najee and Travis's ability to catch the football, they're, they're kind of a, think of the term, all-inclusive. It's like you go, to, you go to a complex or you go on vacation to, to like the Dominican Republic and you're like, what kind of, what kind of a resort is it? Well, it's all-inclusive. What does that mean? Well, not only do you get the scenery and the room, but you also get free drinks and free food throughout the duration of the trip. That's what these two players are. Najee Harris is an all-inclusive back, which means you get him and he can do anything that you need. He's an elite runner of the football, in the tackles, outside the tackles, has good breakaway speed, and then can be a game changer out of the backfield, catching the football, can stand there in the pocket uh, at 6'2", next to Kyler Murray, and plug up holes from on ongoing rushers. And the same thing from, from Travis Etienne. He's not the physical presence that Najee Harris is, but he's somebody that can run every route in the book, somebody that has a nose for the goal line. I know that's, that's overplayed, but I think there's something to be said for guys who consistently find themselves scoring touchdowns. 22-year-old kid. I will say Najee Harris is a little bit older. He's going to be 23 before the season starts. That may concern some folks. But Travis Etienne is not small by any means. He's still 5'10", 200 pounds. He's not, you know, 5'7", 165. So he's got, he's got some size to him. He's from Louisiana. I think he or Najee could come in seamlessly and fill the role long-term next to Kyler. But what does that look like in, in, in 2021? Again, I, I think when you look at the, the NFL draft, you have to look in the sense of development long-term. But for this team this year with what they need, their first or second round pick, I think, needs to play and have a role this year. And unless James Conner or Chase Edmonds are going to regress, and could happen, both of them have been banged up in their NFL careers. I mean, Travis Etienne, back-to-back -back seasons for Clemson, not even this season, but back-to-back -back years, 1,600-plus yards, eight yards per carry, sure. and, and during that span almost had 50 touchdowns on the ground. Um, this past season during the pandemic year, he's still very productive, almost 1,000 yards rushing, 14 touchdowns, 70 touchdowns in his career. I just think that you take one of those guys, with all due respect to, to Chase and, and James, they're down on the depth chart. You're going to go with the rookie because they're, by all accounts, more explosive. So I, I, to me, you want to take a late flyer on a back, great, and then that person immediately becomes in a contention roster battle with Eno and some of these other guys. 
But you take one of these top-tier backs, Javante or the aforementioned Travis Etienne or Najee Harris, they need to be your starters. They need to be your starters or they need to be your closers where they're coming in second half and they're getting the majority of the carries. And when the Cardinals couldn't close teams out last year on the ground, that's where they need to be, lining up next to Kyler, running behind Rodney Hudson and Justin Pugh and putting away the teams the Cardinals couldn't do last year. I, I agree and think that if you don't go back after Sermon, then you're talking about, you know, like you said, Chubba Hubbard, great guy as far as for being able to be like a, the way I describe him as a poor man's ETN. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, has a straight line speed. He's just not the same type of athlete, but very productive in college. Cliff would be familiar with him. Um, I think that he's a better fit than even Ramondre Stevenson, who's 5'11", 231, and he's got, like, some of a gliding speed for the most part. At that size, he's running a 4'6", you know, for comparison's sake. Um, Derrick Henry is one of the freakiest athletes we've ever seen at 240, nearly 250, who ran a 4'5". So we're, we're talking about different level of freak, but also different level of grade. That'd be more of a fifth rounder. Um, I think, at least for you, that if you had to talk about a later round back that would be perfect for the Cardinals... Um, if you don't end up with Sermon, if you don't end up with Javante, I do think that Chubba Hubbard would be the guy I would look at, especially considering that you're going to have familiarity with him. Uh, let's go and talk about the position that the Cardinals may need the most. Um, we don't want to really talk as much about quarterback and then wide receiver. There's just tons, so let's kind of go through some of these checking off some of these boxes tight end obviously Kyle Pitts is the only really first round graded tight end that you really see in this draft he's also maybe not even a classic tight end versus just this freak of nature weapon the only other tight ends at least that pop up and it seems to be a pretty bad class for the most part would be Pat Fryermuth who he had a baby Gronk nickname in college he did not really live up to the moniker as a blocker but he really did when you're talking about his pass catching skills uh, there's a couple of other guys, at least, who are intriguing for Arizona, but who are some guys, at least, for that one? And then, uh, for anything you've seen, at least, with Fryermuth, uh, talk a bit about that, because tight end is one of those spots where I feel like at least one of the Cardinals' draft picks is going to be a tight end. It's just hard to know, because unless you're just going to have Fryermuth there at 49 and then take him, you're really going to be hoping more to have a veteran be one of those type of guys or you know seeing what's going to happen with uh, some of the other players like you know even a hunter long and a uh who's he, like a brevin jordan they're not really guys that i feel like are the best skit uh, scheme fit here in cliff kingsbury's scheme without him having to make major alterations and considering how well the running game was it's really tough for me to see the cardinals spending a pick on either of those guys uh, talk a little bit about what you're seeing as far as some of the strengths and i'll get into my sleeper tight end pick here that i could see for arizona yeah, I just think that that's such a hard position to transfer to the NFL. And as I'm as we're discussing this, Benjamin Albright tweets out he doesn't think Arizona's trading up for Kyle Pitts, so take that for what it's worth. He doesn't see them doing that. So then you're talking about Friermuth as a legitimate option. I, I do not see him falling to pick 49. I think that that could be a pick that they could sniff around in a trade down in the 20s if they love him or in a trade up from 49. But he's not going to last to 49, in my opinion. I think he, in, in most drafts, he would be the first tight end off the board. I, I think he's got special traits that don't necessarily show up in his collegiate production. He was underutilized for a bad Penn State team. Um, and so I, I would say that if that's the Cardinals guy, great. Trade down into the 20s and take him. I'd have no problem with that. Outside of that, Blake, I'm right there with you. I, I think that right now we're we're kind of in the dark of what their plans are at tight end because they didn't make it a priority to re-sign Dan Arnold, who I thought had a good season for them. They didn't make it a priority to sign any tight end. 
And there is no free agent tight end right now that would eclipse the guys on the roster that they have now. So I think either you take one of the top tier tight ends in this draft, <laughs> and there are only really two of them, or are you, are you having a conversation with the Philadelphia Eagles during the draft or after the draft about a certain Zach Ertz that's still on the roster that they're trying to unload? And maybe, just maybe, that that's a rumor that's been out there for some time. Maybe that's what their long-term play is if they can't get a top tight end prospect. Because I'm with you, Blake. The, the Tremble kid from Notre Dame doesn't do much for me. And I, I, this franchise has probably already been burned enough by Notre Dame tight ends with Troy Nicholas, right? There's not most anybody that you take at that position, at least in year one, like a Hunter Long, is going to be a developmental player. It's not going to be ready to come and outbeat in physicality Daryl Daniels and Max Williams. Those guys are grown men, right? And so I just think that your pass-catching tight end, TE1, if you will, is TBD. I, I, I just think that the fireman's the only guy that could come in and say, like, I'm 6'5", 260, light on my feet, ready to come in, and I could see him like having like seven touchdowns from Kyler next year and, and filling in seamlessly for Dan Arnold. I think he could, he's got the ability to translate at the next level and be just a steady six to 800-yard receiving option. He's got a little bit of Travis Kelsey to him. I'm not going to point that out. I think he's more stockier. I mean, he's a big boy. If you watch him running around in shorts at his pro day, he's thick like a tree. He could dominate the inside of the field for the Cardinals. He actually kind of reminds me a little bit of the ex-Cardinal and Raven Todd Heap, who the Ravens took at the end of the first round. I think he'd be very effective for the Cardinals, and I, again, would have no problem taking him in, in a trade-down scenario. But I just think the speculatory prospects, I'm anxious to hear your sleeper, I just think that they had such a presence at tight end last year with Arnold, and he was a lot of what they did. In most games, he was the number two passing option option in the passing game to Hopkins. So it's like, what are we doing this year? Is A.J. Green going to fill that role? Well, no, he's going to be an outside receiver. Fitz is gone. He's not playing the slot. Kirk's in the slot. Maybe you get a rookie. Where's Isabella fit? I mean, their, their passing game, I'm not going to say it's under siege, but it's in flux right now. They don't have guys ready to grab roles by the horns yet. So in tight end, again, we bring up the Mike Clay positional you know rankings they're the worst in the nfl now that, that you could make an argument outside of running back it's the most throwaway position but you could also argue that if you've got an elite player at said position that separates you more so than any team in the league as you know darren waller and travis kelsey and george kittle when he's healthy i mean there are those guys aren't coverable there are players in the nfl by all accounts that can cover those players the Cardinals hope maybe Isaiah Simmons can become that. But there's just you're, you're that big and that fast and that strong, and that's why Kyle Pitts is going to go top five to seven. You're just not, it's not a capable position for a DB or a corner or a safety or a linebacker to cover. So I'll, I'll take your, your, your uh, sleeper now, Blake, but I'm just numb to this team drafting tight ends historically because they have done such a poor job at doing it. Yeah, it's been one of those spots of where if you could tell me that Firemouth was there at 49 and the Cardinals took him, he probably would have a chance to be one of the best Cardinals tight ends of all time if he stayed healthy, simply due to the fact that they've never truly invested in the position. Uh, it's not as been as featured with Cliff Kingsbury's scheme, but as we saw last year with Dan Arnold, they can feature the role when need be. 
let me go ahead at least and be able to um, move and talk about my sleeper, which is Jacob Harris out of UCF, guy who probably grades out around fifth or sixth round. Dude at least is about 6'5", 220 pounds, ran a 4'4", 40-yard dash, and was essentially a slot receiver for UCF. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things, at least, when you're talking about um, yeah, the Dan Arnold. He was the same, 6'5", 220 pounds, a guy who at least is your overall receiving tight end, got the size to be able to be a threat in the red zone. If you're going to say, hey, we've got Dan Arnold making $3 million for two years, and we can spend a fifth or a sixth round pick on a guy who makes you know like that same amount through the course of the rookie contract, that's at least a swing that I think would be worth taking since we've seen how Arnold can already flourish in this system. But otherwise, like you said, the only other player who I even am close on as far as for looking at um, Hunter Long is a guy maybe out of Boston. He's just not quite the athlete that you'd look for. He's just kind of a, a functional guy. Most of those guys will go where the Cardinals don't currently have picks in round three or four. Um, if you view Tommy Tremble not as a tight end but more as a Kyle Juszczyk, fullback, H-back tight end, then I think that you could say that's a guy that checks the box, but we haven't seen Cliff really use that guy in their system. Um, we saw at least the tight end, uh, I think it was... Uh, who was the first year? Charles Clay used a bit in some of that role, but it's a question of do you really want to have to like trade back to get a third round pick to spend on him? So that's going to be one of the positions to have to watch for Arizona. Last thing before moving on with Ertz, I just feel like he's just done. Like I just don't see the explosiveness or even like the production. He said injury issues. I, I think if he's cut, you could probably sign him if you're the Cardinals, but. I just don't see that being a, a trade I would want to take on that contract. I just feel like that would be trouble waiting to happen. Uh, let's go ahead and at least shift. Uh, we talked a little bit about the uh, linebackers at OSU. I don't think we need to talk about the safeties for the Cardinals. Um, I think the biggest area if we want to finish and wrapping up at least before we can kind of get back to maybe some O-line and D-line that are later in the draft. Um, let's talk at least about the corners and then maybe a few of the receivers who could be there as far as round two. But the cornerbacks, like we, we talked about Dane Brugler's mock draft earlier, he had the Cardinals seeing Devontae Smith fall to 16, which we said we could see, but it's not like we're you know expecting it to happen. And then Kelvin Joseph uh, out of Kentucky, I believe, was the guy that they took in the second round. Uh, talk a bit about some of these corners that you see, John. Who are guys that you think the Cardinals could take uh, if they choose to go with a different position in the first round? Or let's say that maybe they trade back from one of their different picks and are looking at another corner in round three or four. It wouldn't shock me, at least, if they took another guy just for special teams. Yeah, I like Tyson Campbell, cornerback from Georgia. Experience, he's 21, 6'2" roughly 180, 185, outside press corner um, for the Cardinals, clearly kind of in that second, third-tier group. Uh, give me an SEC corner. If I can have any conference corner, it's the SEC, and I've seen enough of him where I know that he can eventually develop and be that outside presence that the Cardinals don't currently have outside of Malcolm Butler. Um, only has one interception for his career, and that's not really his game. He's more of a Byron Murphy type of player where he gets a lot of passes deflected but isn't able to track the ball as well as you'd like. But again, you're kind of picking your, your best traits and highlighting them as a second-round pick. If he was a first-round pick, I want him to be like J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain where they catch everything that comes their way. He's the first guy I, I want to highlight. I also like Adebo from Stanford, Paulson Adebo, who's probably more of a third-round pick at this point. Again, common traits, six foot one, 100, 190 pounds. There's a, there's a consistency with some of these guys that I prefer. He does have an abundance and a nose for the football, 
four interceptions each of the past two years. Now, he missed this past year in 2020. I believe he opted out. But you look at his 2019 season, all Pac-12, should have been maybe an All-American, 10 passes defensed, four interceptions, has been a consistent presence for a high-performing Stanford team each of the last couple years. Um, and then there's <clears throat> another name that I want to bring up here. Ambry Thomas is a quarterback, cornerback from Michigan. If the Cardinals are able to secure a third or a fourth round pick, I would say that he's a player that you want to watch for. Again, has the size, was a four-year player for Jim Harbaugh, six foot, 183, three picks this past season, physical, had over 38 tackles for a team that didn't play a lot of games this past season. I'm looking at players, in my opinion, do you, do you play high, high caliber of games? So if you're in the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the SEC, yes. Are you over six foot? Can you play press man? Do you have a nose for the football? Maybe you're not intercepting everything, but you're, you have a lot of passes defense. And have you played a good amount of football? Have you had three years as a starter? Can you come in and split out opposite Byron in the slot and um, you know contending with Robert Alford for that second corner spot opposite Malcolm Butler? That's kind of what I'm looking for because, again, if you're going for a developmental corner that you're going to have to see time this year, you're not going to say be our number one corner. You're not even maybe going to say be our number two corner, but you're going to play a lot, and you've got a refinement to your game already, and maybe the ceiling's not, of course, Patrick Peterson. It's not Patrick Sertain. It's not J.C. Horn. may not even be Caleb Farley, but you're going to be we, – we're looking for in the third and fourth round, if they get picks in the third and fourth round – a guy who's going to be a five to seven year veteran for this team, a Gerard Powers, right? A Greg Toller, somebody that can come in and just be a consistent starter. That's what they've needed so long from Peterson, and they could really never consistently find that. So you've got your Band-Aid and Malcolm Butler. I still like Byron Murphy and, and his physical presence and think he's only getting better. So just give me another high floor kind of corner in round second through four, and I'll be happy with that. Yeah, just with corner, like we said, Asante Samuel will be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, he's a guy who I think is probably most teams have pegged in the second round, a little bit on the smaller side at 5'10", but still ran under the 4'4s, and he's got pretty good size arm, obviously the pedigree at least, being the, the son of the former corner, Asante Samuel. The biggest knock I've seen at least is he seems like he has all the makings to be a number one corner, but just doesn't make as many plays as you would like. Um, one guy I think I can at least say I would probably rule out from the Cardinals drafting. This is more just due to um, just what I think that they're like. I don't see the Cardinals looking at needing a slot corner, considering with they've got plenty of guys to play at the position. And we've talked about how Elijah Molded, they like Washington DBs, but he measured in at under 5'10 and ran a 4'6", 40 at 192, and he only had his arms are under 30 inches. Cardinals seem to like longer arm guys. It's not like that they only take longer arm guys. Um, but I think that though that combination has me thinking he probably won't be on the board for Arizona, especially outside. Um, I do agree with you. I think that you can see some combination of Samuel, Stokes, Kelvin Joseph at least. Uh, he's not quite a six-foot guy, but Tyson Campbell and Ifetu Malafanu 
I could see those two guys being the ones that Arizona could look at at 49 should they go at the different position in the first round. Even over the likes of a Kelvin Joseph, um, who you know has a lot of the speed traits, but just they seem to just like guys who have size. In the late rounds, the only guy who I think at least would be interesting to look at would be uh, Sean Wade out of Ohio State. He really just has been beat up, injured, got burned all the time, but he checks those boxes as far as being you know about a six foot corner uh, and having long arms. There's some plays he's made, but he got burned enough that it'd be more of your developmental pick. Uh, we'll focus on offensive line and defensive line as well as look at kind of, I think, another mock draft next time. But let's finish up with some wide receiver talk today, John. Uh, it's been a long show at least. I know we're just about to get into the last second, but what are some of the best receiving prospects you look at outside of the first round for Arizona? Because let's be honest, for every top prospect that there is this year, there's kind of a second round or a late first prospect who seems like they match each of the top three wide receivers. And this is a spot that every year there's always receivers that you can find, but it just seems like Steve Kime hasn't really found many of them. No, and yeah, th- this is this has been a something that's plagued this franchise really since John Brown in the third round, and that was kind of flash in the pan because he had a lot of his success when he left Arizona. Um, Michael Floyd in pick 12 did not work out. I mean, it's really been Fitz, Bolden, and to a lesser extent Steve Breston once upon a time in the fifth round. They just haven't been able to find that sweet spot developmental second, third, fourth receiver fourth round receiver like many of the teams have it's been a disastrous situation with chad williams and then most recently andy isabella christian kirk every time we think he's going to break out he takes two steps backwards he may just be a third receiver that doesn't get a second contract from the team and that would be disappointing considering where they took him Um, but you got to keep swinging because it's an important position it's becoming more and more important as years go by I think Kadarius Tony is somebody that I've been high on for a long time. Again, every time I watch Kyle Pitts highlights for Florida, he jumps off the, the tape, had a monster breakout season, is polished as a senior, almost 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, has the ability to separate, can, can kind of do a jack-of-all-trades, but can be an outside receiver. Um, he's somebody that I think if the Cardinals were comfortable taking him in a trade-down scenario in the first round, I, I'd have no problem with that. Again, I'm, I'm not somebody who's going to be banging the drum for the Rondell Moores of the world just because, you know, they have, like I mentioned earlier, too many undersized players at receiver. And I don't think with your quarterback already being 5'9 and a half, and that's probably being generous, 5'10", you can afford to have little wideouts. You need, some, you need some people with some size, and I think that's why once upon a time they tried to make it work with Akeem Butler. That's why they brought in A.J. Green. I think there's something to be said for that. So a couple other guys that I think that that could help them, the kid from North Carolina, Damie Brown, who's almost 6'2", who's put up consistent numbers, is I think a third-year sophomore, um, only I think he's 20 years old. Uh, Again, don't love the conference, but I I like the player. Amari Rogers is another player I would think that the Cardinals might consider in the second round. Again, Stanford player, 5'10", um, maybe 5'11", depending on who you ask, but consistently, I, everything that I've read about Amari Rodgers is he's going to be a 10-year NFL pro and has similar traits to that of Robert Woods of formerly the Buffalo Bills, now the L.A. Rams, who burns the Cardinals. Clemson was, I think, for Amari Rodgers. I was just looking at least at this. Yes, Clemson. Not, not Yeah, Clemson. See here, But yeah, I do really like Amari Rodgers. Who else, at least, for that one? I can get into one or two of mine that I see as potentially there, especially with maybe the later guys. Yeah, I mentioned it seems like every year there's a there's a wide receiver from LSU that is just drafted off a pure 
you know, ability, and you've got Jamar Chase, but Terrace Marshall, to me, is a guy that, again, I want to highlight. I, I just think that he, he is kind of like the poor man's DK Metcalf. I, I just think that his measurables, you have to take note. He's almost 6'3", he's got great hands, he's got the straight line speed, he's under the radar right now, but he was the number two overall receiver recruit in the nation when he came out. So he's got that pedigree. So if, if, you, if you're going to say, hey, I'm going to go less off of maybe like the intangibles, which is like the Isabella-esque player, the little guy who can get it done, right? Maybe you, they need to roll the dice earlier. And again, you, people might be screaming, that's what they did with Hakeem, Hakeem Butler. This kid's a better player than Hakeem Butler, and every, any scout would tell you that. So those are the guys that I just think you got to be able to check the hype box with me right now because the Cardinals don't have size at the position, and especially now that Arnold, a 6'5 tight end, is gone. Yeah, that's one of the things I think uh, the Cardinals, I think you'd love to be able to say, if you're looking at a smaller guy, you'd have to be able to not just be able to play in the slot, maybe taking over from Christian Kirk, but be able to line up outside as well. And especially being able to get separation deep is important. It's one of the reasons why I wonder if Rondale Moore is even going to be a guy that the Cardinals consider because we don't have any track record of him running downfield at all. Uh, he just was not utilized there. So then it's a question of, okay, was that just due to the quarterback and the scheme and he can or is it a spot where that just isn't really part of his game maybe he's more of a Paris Campbell guy who stays close I think that the other thing like you're saying about with the measurables from like there's a guy who's at 5'7 180 you're talking about a guy who's so small at least for the most part that there's going to be at least questions about the fact that he got beat up and was injured quite a bit too but he's a guy who was uber productive the one that I will say that's interesting to me is Elijah Moore who, if you're talking about at least, if you're looking for what you wanted Andy Isabella to be and looking at a type of replacement, he's a guy who has um, elite types of speed without the same type of off-field stuff of like Darius Tony, who's probably going to be gone unless the Cardinals trade back into the first or early second. Uh, had multiple years of production and comes out of Ole Miss. He was part of, I believe, that DK Metcalf and um, was it DK Metcalf and uh, Brown, at least, the A.J. Brown, he was just kind of the forgotten guy. Finally got a chance to go off this year, had about 1,200 yards in the SEC. The Cardinals don't see the likes of Smith or Waddle fall. Moore is a guy who'd be very interesting to see. Again, smaller size, but has that elite speed and just was super productive. Maybe at best you could say, hey, could he be a Tyler Lockett type guy for you? Um, Amari Rogers will be interesting to see as well because he's a guy who I think, like you said, fits into the slot, lasts for a very long time. Two other names that I think would be interesting. Let's say the Cardinals can trade back in the first, get another third-round pick. I think you look at Anthony Schwartz, who's another guy who's an elite speed guy at Auburn, SEC. You look at, and then two names. We haven't talked as much about Nico Collins, but as far as when you're talking about guys who could line up, go outside, our big bodies could be used in the red zone and be able to jump over some of those smaller corners. I think that you look at... Uh, it's uh, let me see the name here. Uh, Nico Collins out of Michigan, guy who didn't really get a lot of playing time production, but still had tested with like very very high measurables. Six four 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 five forty showed at least at the senior ball he could be super productive. And the last name I'll say as we wrap up today at least, Simi Feheko out of Stanford, another guy at six three, uh, another four four three guy. Uh, those guys both weighed in at 215, 222. So you're talking about large outside receivers, probably guys who could come in 